0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch, coming up on this Tuesday edition.
1: We will fight to safeguard our democracy. We will fight to secure our most fundamental freedom the freedom to vote.
0: That was Vice President Kamala Harris within the last hour who spoke in Atlanta along with President Biden as they stumped for the Democrats' federal takeover of elections bill that is in the U.S. Senate. What's standing in their way? Well, a lack of support and the Senate filibuster that requires a clear majority in the Senate. But Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said this earlier today.
2: The Senate is going to act as soon as tomorrow. It is my intention to once again bring legislation to the floor to fight back against the threats
0: to democracy and protect people's access to the ballot. What are those threats? What is this debate over Senate rules really about? Well, we're going to talk about that with Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, the ranking member on the Senate Rules Committee. He joins us in just a moment. And the president had some real whoppers in his speech about what he and Kamala Harris called anti-voting laws. We'll talk with Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who has been fighting the Biden administration over election issues. And by the way, where is Chuck Schumer getting the funding to push his campaign to overturn the way the Senate operates? We're going to take a look at the left's dark money and where it is coming from. Millions of dollars. We're going to talk about that with Hayden Ludwig. Senior Investigative Researcher at Capital Research Center. And California officials are back at it, this time shutting down a school, uh, rather a church preschool in Southern California. Why? Well, we'll talk with the pastor, Kevin Miller, later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. You can find everything right there, archived if you miss it later. All right, uh, the select verse from today's Stand on the Word, our two-year journey through the Bible, comes from Genesis chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Isaac went down to Gerar. Uh, Bimelech, king of the Philistines, was there. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. That's in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1, 13, and 14. You see, God's ability to provide for his children and even prosper them has nothing to do with the political or economic conditions surrounding them. We're just to trust the Lord. I invite you to join us in our two-year journey through the Bible. Go to frc.org slash Bible to find out how. Following the president's show of support today for his efforts, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is expected to force votes as soon as tomorrow on two pieces of legislation that Democrats are trying to use to take over elections. The John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. Earlier today, Senator Schumer again spoke of the alleged threats to democracy and suggested that any opposition to his efforts is support for the big lie. So we need to pass these bills so our democracy can long
2: endure after this present danger. To continue blocking these efforts is to offer an implicit endorsement of Donald Trump's big lie, which unfortunately is alive and well in 2022.
0: With me now to talk about what's ahead in the United States Senate and Senator Schumer's self-imposed January 17th deadline deadline is Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri, the ranking member on the Senate Rules Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program.
3: Uh, Tony, great to be with you. I think we haven't had a chance to visit uh, yet this year, so happy
0: new year. And it's good to start out uh, this week of this year with you. Well, thank you, Senator. Happy new year to you as well. Uh, I'm sure you probably caught pieces of the president's speech down in Atlanta where just moments ago he endorsed the overturning of the rules in the Senate so that they can push forward the federal takeover of elections. So a couple of questions here for you, uh, Senator. Let's start here with what are we talking about with the rule change? What is this really all about?
3: Well, I think it is all about uh, just a temporary – taking advantage of a temporary moment where Democrats control the House, they control the Senate, they control the White House. And in all cases, you know, they've tried to act like this is somehow a mandate, and they have uh, a mandate to move forward with dramatic changes uh, in in the country. Uh, Clearly, there's no mandate. Uh, But, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer, who uh, you said uh, described – we heard him say – this is a threat to democracy, was saying just a a couple of years ago, it was a threat to democracy if you did the other thing. The one thing that Republicans on this topic have been incredibly consistent on is appreciating the fact that the 60-vote threshold in the Senate stops the Senate from becoming the House. It stops the Congress from passing one set of legislation that appears to be popular at a moment, like the House often does, and then two years later coming back and repealing that legislation, which didn't turn out to be so popular uh, after all. It's really what makes the Senate unique among almost all legislative bodies, the requirement that the country really has to feel pretty strongly about something to to change course in a dramatic or immediate way. They may have to repeat themselves. In a couple of elections, and usually that doesn't happen. Tony, on most issues uh, that have a momentary um, burst of energy, by the time you get to the next election, two years later, people have thought more about it, and they've thought, well, maybe that would be going too far. And uh, that's one of the reasons we've been able to uh, maintain the constitutional protections we've had is the uniqueness of the Senate. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot this week as we heard at a press conference that I that I put together today of republican members talking about uh, what democrats were saying uh, 4 years ago or 5 years ago or 10 years ago and what they're saying uh today uh and uh, they want to, if they can change the rules where they could do anything by 51 votes they could make um uh, Washington DC a state with 51 votes, and they could do that between now and uh, the 2022 election. They might make Puerto Rico a state. They certainly could do the election takeover uh, that that they're, they're pushing forward this week. And all that really is, is a collection of everything Democrats have wanted to do for at least a decade that they think would give them an advantage in the election process. It's an effort on their part to do whatever they can right now to be sure they maximize the likelihood they'd stay in power. And and I think there will be at least a couple of Democrats who won't
0: agree with that, and that means that it won't happen. This is certainly short-sighted, and it is designed to capture the moment for the benefit of the left. But, you know, I don't want to get into a, a, a lecture. I know you're former college president. I've been a uh, adjunct professor in in, in government. And there's such a thing as equilibrium. And we have to understand that the Senate has played a key role in the history of this country, as you said, where there are things that will capture the attention of the public for a moment. It'll rush through the House, even rush through the executive branch, but it has kind of been the anchor of our republic has been in the Senate. Now, there are important issues that have come before the Senate that I can recall that it took maybe a decade But consensus was finally built in the Senate, and those things were passed. But the public was brought along. Uh, And I I just think it's very short-sighted in what the Democrats are trying to do here. And I do want to underscore a point you said just a moment ago at the beginning of this. Republicans have remained consistent. Even when you were in the majority and had the ability to change the rules to do what the Democrats were doing, you said no then, and you're saying no today. But the Democrats and that was not, even That was even with
3: president, president Trump's sense of this where I think at the news conference we had today somebody said the president on thirty different occasions in the two years that we control the House and Senate uh, called on the Senate to change the rules so we could do uh, whatever we could do with that unique moment but it would have the, the the equilibrium of the country matters and people Sticking with a major change in a way that assures that this is really what we want to do matters, and and Republicans have been consistent about that. Democrats can say as long as they want to, well, if you were in charge, you'd make the change. The truth is, we just proved we were in charge and are really committed to this, this important constitutional Um, principle that creates not just balance of power in the government, but balance of power between the House and the Senate in a helpful way, just because the Senate functions differently. Uh, And you're also going to hear this week on the election issues themselves. You're going to talk to Attorney General Paxton about that in a minute that there's a huge rollback in voting rights. And I've looked at this very carefully. I was an election official uh, for 20 years, including being the secretary of state, the chief election official of our state. And what happened in state after state was the legislature leaned forward in response to the pandemic, as frankly you would want them to in a unique moment like that, opened some doors that hadn't been opened before, had had that election, had, a, had participation in that election, and then when the pandemic was over, looked at the things they had done and in all cases decided to keep some of them, that they were appropriate whether there was a pandemic or not, uh, and to eliminate others that were only appropriate when you had th- that unique circumstance. So I think no matter what the Democrats say, virtually every state – has more voting opportunity uh, in 2021 than they had in 2018. So you go back to their 18 laws. The states didn't go back to where what they were in 2018. They said, we tried some things. Some of them we think were good enough to be permanent. Some of them you should only do in a pandemic moment. And uh, frankly, that's exactly how you should want the process to work, to step forward when there's a unique challenge, and then reevaluate when that challenge passes. If anything you did in that step forward uh, was right. something you want to maintain, I mean, and all of these states, including Texas, did that.
0: That's the way it's supposed. The system's supposed to work. That's our federalist right. system. Uh, right. This would preempt the federalist system because it has a one-size-fits-all for the entire nation. But and, uh, so Blunt, it, it not fit anybody very well, you know. Exactly. It's it's like, you know, I, never, I won't go there. But the, the let, let's talk about it. that's not the end of this. They, they're they talking about voting rights, but there's a whole host of issues if they they're not going to do just a carve out for election laws. Once they pass this threshold, every left leaning group, special interest group is going to demand a vote on their issue.
3: That, that's right. And, you know, I think Joe Manchin and his comments last week understood this, when he said, you know, once you start uh, carving up the turkey before you know it, you've eaten the whole turkey. Not sure I'd say it exactly that way, but you can't, a carve out is just not possible in my view. Once you have made an exception, uh, then the next thing that comes up, people will say, well, if voting rights are important, isn't the environment important? Isn't the next pandemic important? Isn't this important, uh, it would it would be the beginning of the end of the Senate as a unique institution. It would be more like a parliamentarian government where, right, you've got everything, you just do everything. And I think this whole idea on their part of even pretending they have a mandate is one of the reasons they're in so much trouble with voters right now. The Senate couldn't possibly be closer than it is. They don't even have 51 votes in the Senate. You'd have to bring the vice president in to get 51 votes. The Senate's 50-50. The House Democrats have the closest margin they've had in 170 years, and there is no mandate. And one of the big problems they've got right now is built on that acting like this is a moment when they should do anything they want to do, whether it's elections or the big spending, reckless spending bill. Senator,
0: we've got to leave it there. We're out of time. Good to talk. Folks, stick with us.
1: Sign up at frc.org/subscriptions.
4: At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? to six seven
5: seven
0: four two. Welcome back is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. President Biden uh, selected Atlanta as a backdrop for his speech today on the federal takeover of elections, during which he repeated what the left has been trying to drill into the minds of the American public, that our democracy is in peril and that the solution is to give more power to the federal government. They want chaos to reign. We want the people to rule. Now, I just I, I pulled that clip in particular. He's talking about those who want the states to continue to oversee elections and make sure that it's easy to vote, but hard to cheat. He says they want chaos, uh, but they want the people to rule. Now, this I just thought was a little ironic coming from the mandate president, president to mandate Biden, who wants to tell people to wear masks, to get shots. But he wants the people to rule. Joining me now to talk about uh, the president's speech in Texas is the attorney general of Texas. I'm sorry. The president's speech in Atlanta is the Texas attorney general in Paxton. Ken, welcome
5: back to the program. Hey, Tony. Always good to be back. You're doing a great job. And thanks for bringing this issue up. It's, it's a it's a big issue for our country.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about this because you've gone toe to toe with the Biden administration over election issues. What's really what's going on here?
5: So. My belief is that they they are doing their best to make it as easy as possible for them to control states like Texas, Georgia. They want a one-party system where it's impossible for us to win. And if you look at states like California where the mail-in ballot rules are already set up and it's easy to commit voter fraud, they don't prosecute it. And I know from prosecuting voter fraud in my own state, we have literally hundreds of cases going right now that – It's the easiest way to commit voter fraud. And that's what they want to do, maximize voter fraud. And look, we provide great accessibility in Texas. we give you two weeks to vote, two weeks. We added more time to it. So it's not about people not voting. If you can't vote in two weeks, you probably don't want to vote. But this idea that we want to loosen it up so we don't know who's voting, that's a different issue.
0: You know, I've been wondering, maybe he's going to mandate voting. Maybe he's just mandate that everybody go and, uh, and vote. But I think maybe they're afraid of that because so many people don't agree with the policies they're pushing. I, I want to play another clip from his speech because this is something that has been debunked multiple times since he said it months ago when Georgia first passed their election reform bill. Uh, play clip number seven. The new Georgia law actually makes it Illegal. Think of this. I mean, it's 2020 and now 22 going into that election. It makes it illegal to bring your neighbors, your fellow voters, food or water while they wait in
4: line to vote.
0: Oh, I mean, this has been debunked. What it says is campaigns can't be passing out uh, material and water, but Election officials can give water and food if people are standing in line. How does the president continue to get by with this and the media not taking him to task?
5: Well, I think we know both know that the media has an agenda, too. It's very similar to his. They love the same thing that, that he wants, which is a one-party system that does what he's doing, which is dictate to us how we live, whether we have to get a shot or keep our jobs or whatever they decide they want to control and the media is very, very on board with his with his uh, with his agenda.
0: Now, Texas uh, had a pretty, uh, pretty tough legislative session last year, but election reform made it through the process after a special session. Um, wh- what's going to happen in Texas? Uh, will, will the will Texas fight back against efforts by the Biden administration to change its laws?
5: Uh, we're already in a lawsuit over, over defending our Texas laws from the Biden administration. I will say this, though, we are at great risk in Texas, more than we've ever been, I think, since December 15th, when our Court of Criminal Appeals, which is our Supreme Court for Criminal Matters, ruled two days after their filing deadline so that nobody could run against them. And by the way, it's a nine-zero Republican court. They ruled that the Texas attorney general, who's had the authority to prosecute voter fraud since 1951, pursuant to all legislative action – and pursuant to the Constitution, that it is unconstitutional now for the attorney general's office to prosecute voter fraud, which means now only local DAs, according to this ruling, only local DAs in like Travis County, which is very liberal and funded by Soros, Bear County, which is funded by Soros, the DA there as well, Harris County, they will be responsible for prosecuting voter fraud, which means that we are not going to prosecute voter fraud in Texas anymore if we don't undo what the criminal court of appeals did on December 15th.
0: Well how does that how will that take place? How will that be undone?
5: It's a pretty scary thought. Right now, we filed a motion for rehearing. We lost eight one. One Republican judge voted with us. He's the one that got it right. I've asked the governor and others to to file amicus briefs. I think we're gonna have congressmen filing Amicus briefs, at the state senate. This is uh this is a backdoor way to change Texas, and I mean to change Texas really quickly. Like it could it was start changing in November.
0: We're going to talk in a moment later in the program. We're going to be talking with uh, Hayden Lugwood about the the dark money that Democrats have been using. Sor- you mentioned Soros; he's just one of many. But it's not just at the federal level. They've been working to change uh, DAs and election officials and others at local levels just for this purpose.
5: No, it's genius. They've they've worked on switching out. We had Democratic DAs in Travis County and Bear, but they weren't liberal enough. So Soros beat. He he unseated two Democratic AGs in those counties, and now we're in a position where the Court of Criminal Appeals basically took away the ability of the state of Texas to stop voter fraud. So if the local DA that Soros put in place wants to allow hundreds of thousands of ballots to, to be fraudulently turned in, there's nothing that we can do if that decision stands.
0: Wow, amazing. This is why elections are so important, people being informed and engaged. Uh, General Ken Paxton, as always, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate what you're doing. All right. Uh, Ken Paxton, Attorney General of Texas. And for those of you living in Texas, another issue to be working on. Um, But this is not isolated. This is happening all across the country. And this is why I repeatedly say that our republic It's not made for spectators. It's made for participants. You and I have a responsibility. And, of course, listening to Washington Watch, part of that responsibility, so you know what's going on and what you can do about it. But share that with family and friends. Uh, If nothing else, prayer points. We need to be praying, but then after we pray, we need to get up and we need to be involved. We need to make our voices heard. Sometimes that's showing up at city council meetings, school board meetings, state legislatures. Sometimes it means running for office. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, we must be salt and light in the world in which we live. All right, coming up, government officials in California have shut down a church-run preschool. Why? Well, we're going to talk with the administrative pastor about it. Don't go away. We're coming back right after this. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. You're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. For the past month now, the doors of a church-run preschool in Southern California have been shut by order of the California Department of Social Services. Hmm, The reason? Well, let's find out. We're going to be joined now by the uh, executive pastor of the church, Pastor Kevin Miller. He's administrative pastor at Foothills Church, which has been running this preschool for the past six years. Pastor Kevin,
8: welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. And I got to tell you right off the bat that we are so grateful to be in the battle uh, with you. Where just what you do and how you lead uh, is really, really good. And so anyway, thanks for all your service and what you do.
0: Well, thank you, Pastor Kevin. I appreciate that. And uh, I was shocked when I saw this because, you know, many people think that the uh, state of California has moved on from its harassment of uh, of churches, but it continues. You have a preschool, been operating uh, there for six years. you got about 100 students. Many families depend upon it. It's it's, uh, it's a part of the church's ministry, but you've been shut down. You're going to be back in court, this, I believe, this Friday. Why were you shut down?
8: You know, in a nutshell... Uh, Tony, it's because we were unable to successfully mask two, three, and four-year-olds in our preschool. Uh, you know, up till September 29th, we had been ministering to hundreds of families over the years, and like you said, we had a waiting list. People wanted to come to our preschool. It was it's really a fabulous ministry of the church. Uh, we also have a school district and reach out before COVID. Over five thousand. Uh, young people every single week. That's the church that we are. So everything was fine until they said they got a complaint. We haven't really heard where that came from. But they started an investigation and what we really consider uh, bullying and harassment over the next 60 days. They came out for nine and a half hours at a time on seven seven different uh, visits, 11 overall, when so many of the preschools in our our area, East County of San Diego, hadn't had a, a more than one visit in five years. So they targeted us; they came after us, and it um, really was very, very hostile. They, they interviewed 3 year old four-year-olds, without their parents' knowledge or permission. They were antagonistic towards our teachers. These are preschool teachers. I think we know what preschool teachers are like. And kids wouldn't come back to school because they were so uh, stressed by what the interviews were like and the teachers as well. So we called Senator Brian Jones, our state senator, who's a real strong proponent in fighting the battle in Sacramento, if you can imagine. And uh, he had a talk with the State Department of Social Services head, and it seemed at that point that they became a little more cooperative. They kind of cooled it down a little bit, and we started working together and doing the best we could because they say we have to mask preschoolers, but we can't force them to wear masks because it's against their civil rights. We have a lot of parents who taught their children, just say no, thank you. And so we were working with this and going along. And after Brian's call, it seemed as though it had de escalated. Uh, they took away twenty six hundred dollars of the thousands of dollars in fines. They were finding us on a weekly basis, even when we were closed. And then they said, you know what? We're going to sign you off here. We can see you're making progress. You're doing well. They put it in writing, and then they came back in and shut us down under the guise of an annual visit. And they had been in. Their annual visit, they had been here for closing in on 40 hours, going through all our files over the course of two months. So the annual visit was kind of similar.
0: Now, I, 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 when I saw, I've, I've read as much as I could, that has been in the press about this story. But going through the
8: files, spending hours combing through your files, what does that have to
0: do with mask?
8: It's because they were looking for any other violation than that they could. And uh, with preschools and with the Department of Social Services, they can always find something. Uh, we got a violation because while children were napping in a preschool room, the the teacher was wiping down all the surfaces and, and sanitizing with some wipes. And she had put them back in the cupboard while she was wiping down, but she hadn't locked the cupboard. They said that we put these sleeping children. They didn't note that in the report, but these sleeping children in danger because there were poisons that were in the room that were in an unlocked cabinet. Yeah, Yeah. wise
0: So you you, you get it either way. I mean, either you're not wearing them, making them wear masks, which, by the way, are uh, pretty much ineffective uh, for children. Uh, the numbers are the startling
8: point. at 2, 3 and 4 year olds, I got to tell you.
0: Exactly. I mean, look, we're talking about kids. I mean, can't even get them to stand still, let alone wear a mask, but even, what? even even many of the the experts
8: say that it's not necessary to mask children. Where's the science in all of this? I'll tell you, we have a collection of reports, 400 medical studies that say this is totally ineffective. We hope to enter that into the evidence as well. I'm not sure we'll be able to, but you're right. At the same time, the kids playing around outside can have their masks off because that really doesn't make sense. They can sit down at lunch and share each other's sandwiches. So I don't know. Anybody who has preschoolers, they know how hard that is.
0: We're, We're up against a break, but Pastor Kevin, Friday is a court hearing. What will take place there?
8: It's a settlement hearing, and if we can't come to an agreement there, then the 26th, 27th, and 28th is an official hearing. Until then, 100 kids are out of uh, daycare, and 21 employees are unemployed, and the director has been told she can't work with children for the remainder of her life.
0: Amazing, and I know how important that is as a former pastor that had a daycare. It's a great ministry to the community Uh, Pastor Kevin, we'll be praying. We'll encourage our folks to pray for that hearing coming up on uh, Friday, and we'll check in with you to see how it goes.
8: We appreciate it so much. Thank you, Tony.
0: All right. Thanks for taking a stand. Well, you know, it's just amazing to me. I mean, we're hearing all the reports of the fallout from the coronavirus uh, pandemic shutdowns, the impact that's had on kids. Here we see the government pursuing more of that. All right. We'll keep you posted on. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look into the dark money funding Chuck Schumer and others who want to take over the election system by changing Senate rules. We're going to talk about that next. Don't go away.
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
6: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
9: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
0: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you missed any of today's program, you can find it all archived at TonyPerkins.com along with other resources. The term dark money is one that the left often accuses conservatives and libertarians of relying on to bring our policy positions into legislative reality, implying that conservatives and libertarians are the ones using this vehicle. But what if the reverse is actually true? You know, there's a term in psychology called projection. Uh, You project onto others what you're doing yourself, and I find it so true uh, in the left that uh, just like We're hearing about this whole debate over elections, about, you know, denying the right to vote and, you know, destroying our democracy. It's the left that is projecting onto conservatives what they're actually doing. What what is happening with dark money? The left is weaponizing charities, including 501c3 charitable organizations, to fuel efforts such as Senator Schumer's anti-filibuster push, this effort to fundamentally change the Senate, the way it operates, and with it, Congress and the country. Joining me now to discuss this is Hayden Ludwig. He is a senior investigative researcher at Capital Research Center, whose organization examines how foundations, charities, and other nonprofits spend money and get involved in politics and advocacy. Hayden, welcome to Washington Watch.
2: Great to be with you, Tony.
0: So what is a dark money pop-up, as you termed it? I read an article, you were talking about this coalition that all of a sudden has popped up supporting Chuck Schumer's effort to uh, overturn uh, these longstanding procedures in the Senate. What are these pop-ups?
2: Well, it's what we call classic astroturf activism. It's the opposite of grassroots activism. The group we're talking about is called Fix our Senate. And if you go to their website, they look like any other standalone nonprofit trying to dismantle the uh, filibuster in the US Senate. And they have an open letter to Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer with about 60 signatories. And they're all pushing for this, claiming that this is very popular with the American people. In reality, there is no nonprofit called Fix Our Senate because it's what we call a pop-up group. We call them this because it's basically a website that can appear one moment, attack Republicans and conservative policies, and then pop out a minute later when they uh, basically unplug the website. In reality, this group and its coalition or a front a multi-billion dollar dark money network that specializes in these kinds of pop-up groups run by a consulting firm for Democrats called Arabella Advisors.
0: So uh, let's I I want to get into all of that, but with these pop-ups the, the 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 I mean probably I guess the the biggest issue here is as you say they don't really exist. They just pop up. So how do you hold them accountable for what they put out there and the claims that they make?
2: Well, you really can't. And that's the most unfortunate thing about this. There's no law prohibiting them from doing this because These websites are basically owned and operated by another nonprofit run by that consulting firm I mentioned earlier, Arabella Advisors. So Fix Our Senate, if you go to a lot of these pop-up campaign websites, they don't disclose the relationship to Arabella or its nonprofit network. They don't mention that if you donate to them, you're not actually donating to this particular group. You're donating to the master mothership that runs it, whose name most people have never heard of. So it's the opposite of transparency, and what we found in the last three years of reporting on this multibillion-dollar network is not only is it in the, um, the pinnacle, the cutting edge of Democratic Party politics, it's also how the left is increasingly shifting to pushing policy in Washington. They don't want the people to see the real nonprofits and professional activists running these organizations, so they give them phony names and slick campaign websites to totally obfuscate the uh, political debate.
0: So, Hayden, the, um, there, I think there's a kind of a step in between Fix Our Senate and Arabella, and it's a the 1630 fund that is funded through Arabella. Um, explain what that fund does in terms of organizing various liberal leftist organizations.
2: Well, it's a little bit complicated, so I'd ask your listeners to bear with me. So, The way it works is you have this consulting firm, Arabella Advisors, housed in Washington, D.C. And I've been to their offices. It's a very swanky place run by professional consultants and activists. Well, Arabella in the last two decades um, has, has created and managed a fleet of four nonprofits. All of these groups share Arabella's address. And I should stress Arabella is not a nonprofit. It's an LLC. It's a for-profit company, but it has a really tight, almost incestuous relationship with these four nonprofits. In fact, the boards of directors are all run by Arabella's staff. While well, these nonprofits in turn accept huge contributions, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, we, we calculated in 2020, over a billion and a half dollars in one year alone. It's like a Fortune 500 company. These nonprofits are hired by outside foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or George Soros' Open Society Foundations or the Ford Foundation to take money from these organizations and create these kinds of pop up campaigns that cannot be traced to the original donors. The group you mentioned, the 1630 Fund. Is one of the largest in the Arabella network, and we've traced hundreds of these pop-up campaigns working on everything from packing the courts to eliminating the filibuster to pushing Obamacare expansion to attacking Donald Trump and Republican senators in the twenty twenty election. Uh,
0: in fact, according to an article last month from uh, Politico, I think it was just the sixteen thirty fund. That's not all of the, that's not the other nonprofits that uh, Arabella funded. They put out a whopping four hundred and ten million dollars in the 2020 election just to unseat President Donald Trump. Now, a couple of things to note about this. This is, as I understand, C3 money that is put out there. this is also, as you said, we don't know. You don't know where it comes from. It's not traceable. This is money coming from the left. This this far eclipses even stuff of what the Koch brothers did.
2: Yeah, what we've seen is there's really no comparable beast to the Arabella Empire on the conservative side. Uh, we've We've looked around. We've done investigations into this to see is there... Who's been doing this before? And my conclusion is this was a scheme dreamed up by Eric Kessler, who's the founder of Arabella Advisors, uh, way back around the year 2000 when he came out of the Clinton administration where he's working for the Department of the Interior. He came up with this brilliant idea to create these nonprofits, controlled and and paying his company, Arabella, massive millions of dollars in consulting fees to run this network, by the way. And it, it's a brilliant way to basically move money from foundations, which I should point out are are usually shy of, of being perceived as too political. They want to be seen as more highbrow and philanthropic, even though what they fund is usually things like, like pushing on abortion campaigns, for instance. But they want to be seen as uh, not attached to the politics. So by having this large pass-through composed of these, yeah, 501c3 and 501c4 nonprofits that can do limited campaign work, limited political and lobbying work, um, they can command all of these policy changes on a scale that I've never seen on the conservative side. It's only now that we see any conservative organizations trying to follow suit, but the scale is so much smaller uh, and they have a, 20 year lag on arabella that it doesn't look like they're ever going to catch up to what the left is doing.
0: So Hayden, you know, we all a lot of people have heard about George Soros because he has been uh, very open about his funding and of course open society foundations which is his uh, his arm. He he's one of the uh, the big donors but quite frankly he is uh, eclipsed by many
2: others as you said give hundreds
0: of millions of dollars to
2: this effort. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. Most people are, think of um, the two parties when they think of politics. But part of what their capital research studies is the massive, billion do- multi-billion dollar strong nonprofit world that operates just outside on the perimeter of the two political parties. And what we've discovered is it's actually much more powerful than either of the two political parties. Not only do they have more money, uh, the, the left in particular, but they also have a legion of professional activists available round the clock. When, I, when before COVID, one of my parts of my job was to actually attend various Supreme Court rallies and protests put on by the left. For instance, those protesting the confirmation of all of President Trump's uh, Supreme Court picks. And what I found is. You, you could see a thousand different kinds of signs there, and maybe a third of them would belong to a handful of organizations because they're, ex- they're operating by extension. They are these kinds of pop-up campaigns. And the reason I think they do this is there's a lot of strength And being perceived as having, you know, a dozen different friends backing you on this when it's really just two or three, it gives the impression of broad grassroots support for things that are really controversial and extreme, like abolishing the filibuster in the U.S. Senate. And Arabella has made who knows how much money, hundreds of millions of dollars over the last two decades running this kind of, um, frankly, brilliant and very insidious, very devious kind of political campaigning.
0: So Hayden, a a takeaway from that is that what appears to be organic opposition, as you call AstroTurf, that this is manufactured, it's funded by just a a little network that makes itself look as if it is a, a big, massive grassroots surge.
2: That's right. I'll give you another example of one of these Arabella groups, a group more people may have heard of called Demand Justice I actually first encountered these at one of these Supreme Court rallies where I was going undercover trying to discover new organizations like this, and I couldn't find anything about this organization. Their website gave no clear-cut information. The, the IRS didn't list them as a nonprofit. Well, that's because Demand Justice is a front for the 1630 Fund, one of these leading Arabella nonprofits. And when I dug into the finances, what I was able to discover is that you can't find the budget of Demand Justice or Fix Our Senate or any other Arabella group. Because they operate as a website, their money is lost in the, in the massive coffers of all of these other actual Arabella nonprofits. So that when they report, you know, $400 million that they spent a single year, I can't tell you how much of that money went to this campaign over here or that campaign over there, and that's the brilliance of it. They don't actually own as much as a pen. They don't have a board of directors. They don't have to file any kind of IRS nonprofit disclosures that all nonprofits are required to do. So they're able to do things that most people consider to be political campaigning, electioneering, changing the outcome of elections in a lot of states. and But they're able to do this with zero transparency, not even admitting the kind of organizations they are.
0: Uh, two uh, quick questions for you because we're almost out of time after you've done all of this investigation. What concerns you most Aiden, about what you found? Well,
2: what concerns me most in general about these things is that most people don't see the weaponization of nonprofits in this country, as you put it so well earlier. Nonprofits in this country were created for a different purpose. America has the most generous charitable sector. That goes all the way back to the roots of the Reformation and and before the American Revolution even. But what we see today is big foundations that spend almost all of their money on Political causes that I don't know anybody who would consider, say, getting out the vote to be a an act of philanthropy. There's no loving of thy fellow man in that. And yet, we've discovered that the left is is specializing in this. They're they're warping all of the generous tax exemptions and tax deductions that we've afforded our nonprofits in order to conduct uh, politics. It's not done out in the open. It's not done with most people's knowledge. It's very insidious.
0: Well, if government is your God, they could, uh, I think they could explain this away because they're tithing. Um, but <laughs> that's another, another topic. What can be done? How can this be fixed?
2: Well, I don't think we're going to be able to stop the behemoth from growing. But what I want to say to assure people, because I'm usually the bearer of bad news when I talk about these things, is that consider that for all the money that these organizations spend, how little they how few victories they have to show for it, um, I, I find it very striking that the left seems afraid to bring these policy debates out front and center and actually have a real discussion about their merits with the American people. instead, they rely on all of these underhanded tactics, these activists, these things operating in Washington and state capitals where few people are aware of it. And what I think people should do is they should they should recognize that this country is going through a terrible time right now, and it, our politics will not heal until our country loves the Lord again, until we grow in holiness to look more like Jesus Christ. Uh, our politics is going to be just as corrupt as the people who are voting for the politicians, I'm sorry to say.
0: Hayden, final thoughts very good final thoughts uh words of wisdom and uh I appreciate that thanks so much for joining us today very intriguing research um appreciate you doing it keep it up thank you very much and folks uh, you know what he hit it right on the head the fact is the left makes a lot of noise but they really haven't been winning you know they put up a um, uh, you know they put up this false front but you know what at the end of the day the truth generally wins out if, if there are those who are willing to stand and speak truth and defend truth. So, you know, all this manufactured noise that we hear out there, just don't buy it. And and quite frankly, that includes the legacy media. You know, they're continuing to push this same narrative as we were talking about earlier. You know, they're not calling the president to count when he's not telling the truth. They're a part of the big lie. What do we need to do? We need to know the truth, and we need to stand for the truth and not be discouraged by what's happening around us or what might be the temporary outcome. The truth will ultimately prevail. All right, folks, folks, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and join us in our daily Bible reading. Stand on the word. Go to frc.org slash Bible. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, by the way, says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.